All right. Welcome, everybody, back to the PHLY Sixers podcast. Stepping into the host chair once again as Devon Givens put up with us for about a month before <laughs> saying he was done. Uh, so he will be out of the studio for the next two days. So you're stuck with Kyle. Just two days. Just, that's it. I mean, you never for really three know. With, you never really know with Devon. He is. We do have a counter of missed shows going on. He's up to 61. Kyle is in second place at two. So he has a comfortable lead here. But we are in. Congratulations for- to Derek for winning the uh, perfect attendance award. No, so I missed one. Okay. Christmas, all right, all Christmas right. night. Uh, I honestly appreciate you guys for offering to do that one. Uh, that was fantastic. But we are in familiar territory because not only is it Kyle and I here in the studio, but it is a Pascal Siakam trade rumor that we have to discuss. We do. How you doing, Kyle? Well, I was wondering if you still had the. Uh- the host vibe within you, you know. Oh, I never freak. had the host vibe, but I did have to remind myself like five minutes before the show, like, oh shoot, I've got to actually do the intro thing here. Yeah, because so, you know you got to hit your cue with Bree. Everything's flowing well, smoothly so far. We are off to the races. I'm Devon, doing well. Devon's such a radio guy that like his intro is like five minutes, so I'll just be sitting there like looking stuff up for the good first five or ten minutes of the show because you and Devon kind of handle it. It's a very just different like, vibe oh, right I'll now. I'll just yeah. sit on my phone. And, yeah. yeah, no, it's. I have to pay attention now. Yeah, now we have to actually lock Dang in. It. Like the Sixers got to lock in heading into the trade deadline and what, five weeks or so, yep. right? Yep. So, all right. So A to lead things off, yep. would you like me to set up the, the rumor sure. here? And so comes to us by way of guy Nate, who I'm, I'll fully admit, not familiar with him and his work, but it's been talked about amongst some people that I know, Brett Siegel at Clutch Points, who touched on a bunch of available players Siakam, most notably, also DeJounte Murray, some other teams like the Detroit Pistons who might be moving on from some players. So here's what he says as it relates to Siakam and the Sixers. Quote, the Hawks, who previously offered a trade package centered around DeAndre Hunter and A.J. Griffin, remain fixated on the idea of pairing Siakam with Trey Young. Along with the Hawks, Pacers, Kings, Philadelphia 76ers, and Dallas Mavericks expressed prior interest in Siakam, league sources said of the teams listed above, Atlanta remains the favored destination. End quote. So that's where we end Brett Siegel's contribution to the show. We bring in Derek and I. Derek, I guess if you have reporting to share, obviously fire away. If you just have a snap take on six or Siakam. Let I mean, it, we've rip. talked about Siakam so many times, and we've both said that the Sixers push back on it. So there's not really anything new to share from that. I do at times wonder, like, why do teams feel compelled to push back on certain rumors? But I think that there is general skepticism between both of us. The Sixers would be interested in Siakam as their one ship to go in. Like you mentioned, uh, Brett Siegel, his, his reported asking price for the Raptors two rotation players, two first-round picks. So that would be your big move. You would still have something left if that that uh, request or that that threshold is true. You would still have a pick to trade. So you're not completely committed, but he would be a very big commitment. I'm dubious whether or not that will be the commitment the Sixers will go for. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's. I think, I don't know. Why, why does this keep popping up? I don't know. I think there's an easy explanation. I'm sure at some point the Sixers have talked to the Raptors about it because Daryl Moore would not be doing his job if he didn't talk to the Raptors about that. The fact that you are hearing a national reporter say the Sixers have expressed interest in the past just means 
the Sixers have expressed interest. That's literally in the past. all it means. Yeah, it doesn't mean that anything is picking up. There's no steam being built. There's nothing of that sort. So I don't really want to make like it's it's it's. I'm not sure there's that much meat there to this. First of all, I want to shout out. We have someone in the chat who says they're tuning in from Abu Dhabi. I don't. That feels like it can't be true. It's almost <laughs> like, but it's also like too specific of a place to make it up. So shout out to that guy. Got a bunch of other familiar faces in here today. I want. I, mean, I want to say. Uh, I look it up. It's eleven thirty-six in in Abu Dhabi. Okay, it's, it's not that uh, bad. All right, so yeah. it's it's possible. We'll put it that way. That's what I would also say about the the Siakam rumors connecting him to the Sixers. Every time I've talked to people around the team, they've thrown cold water on it, and I would say at best you're talking about this is a long odds proposition. I think there are several factors to that. One, I think when Nick Nurse took this job, I think throughout the summer as it became clear Harden's discontent was what it was and there were going to be trades made to rearrange this team, I am fairly confident that Nick Nurse said, I don't particularly want to have my old Raptors guys here. Now, there are various reasons for that. I would also say there is a component on the other side of it with Siakam maybe feeling similarly about reuniting with nurse so i I think that's probably i will say he's gotten so many more opportunities to self-create this year that maybe he might be rethinking that who knows Uh, it's it's definitely possible so i I think there's i don't want to say there's it's not mutual hate it's maybe a mutual understanding that it was better for them to to part ways like i think if you look at uh nick getting a fresh start here without all the baggage in toronto same thing with siakam although admittedly on a much worse team think they're probably better off being apart. So that that would be one. It's sort of like when Kyle and I go to our next stop. It's not that we hate each other. It's just our <laughs> it's time working can't work together with that has come to an end. Yeah. So on the other side of it, as Derek is saying, I think the Sixers realize that they have a very limited number of high-value assets, mostly picks, but also the cap space will most likely disappear in the summer. They're, Derek has said many times, it's not so much about signing a free agent as it is you can use that you can weaponize it in trades and you know different possibilities leading up to free agency this summer and i don't think siakam is the guy who they're like we're pushing all the chips in he's going to be the nailed on guy moving forward if he was listed on the market as a cheap rental that you say oh we throw like one one nice thing at toronto maybe they consider it but Masai running that team has not shown any inclination to let guys go at bargain bin prices at the deadline. So that's two. And then three, you have to get to the on-court fit, right? Like I do think Siakam has certainly come a long way as a player, a self-creator, all that since he came into the league has become, or at least coming into this season, had been a more reliable shooter, guy who can do some different things offensively. Hasn't been great this year. Has not been great this year. And your, I would say his ideal spot as a shooter is the corner three up to the wing. And that was the case even dating back to 2019 when they played them in the playoffs. The problem with that is we've seen this season, the Sixers are not a static, hey, P.J. Tucker, go stand in the corner offense. And I don't think Pascal Siakam is happy anymore to be just like, hey, you stand in the corner and you're going to be a do-it-all defender, all that kind of stuff for us, and you'll be happy 
playing behind Kawhi, behind Kyle Lowry, all that. I think he has proven himself enough up to this point to want a central creation sort of role. And I think unlike some of these guards and other players we talked about, like whatever Zach Levine's issues are uh, defensively and culture-wise, contract, all that, offensively you could see him being a clean fit because he doesn't necessarily need to operate in the same areas, in the same ways as a Maxi, but particularly as a Joel Embiid. Siakam, some of his biggest strengths are in those areas mm-hmm. of the floor that Joel likes to operate from. And so, again, like I said, with the Levine chatter that we've discussed a lot recently, I think there is, unlike with Levine, who the contract is so bad that I don't know that they'll ever consider it, with Siakam, if the price gets low enough, the talent bet, you just say, well, fuck it. It's a, we'll make a run this year, and then we'll see what happens in free agency in the summer. But I just don't think that he's gettable for that low of a price. And even if he was, there'd be a lot of concerns that I think flow out of bringing him here. Yeah. And look, beyond what the team might be saying behind the scenes, because I, I think, especially at this time of year, everyone has an agenda when you talk to them. Said that before. It's going to happen. My biggest concerns are this, the, the price and the shooting. Right? Yeah. If it's really two first-round picks, maybe it comes down from that. It has to be a good fit. Siakam right now shooting 31.3% on catch-and-shoot threes. Uh, that's not great. And, and he's shooting 20... Oh, hold on, I lost my... 28.5% from three overall. And it's like 23% above the break. Where did I lose? There it is. Uh, 23.9% on threes above the break. Not good. And that was... You, you bring up 2019. When the Sixers were defending uh, the Raptors in 2019, they would completely abandon him every time he stepped above the break outside of those corners. And that's still sort of the case. And he's gotten better in a lot of respects as a creator, uh, including as a creator for others. He's grown as a playmaker and a passer. He's not great. He's not elite, but he's now at least good enough where he will give you that secondary creation. But he has to also be able to fit and be an elite floor spacer next to Embiid and Maxie. And he's just nowhere near that. And that's one one aspect of his game that really hasn't progressed throughout the years. So I think you look at Siakam and maybe you think his, his values come down because he's not getting as much shot creation as he did in prior years. I think that's true. And I think the cost to acquire him might be less than it would have been at this time last year, in part because he's just closer to being a free agent, but in part because he's having a down year. And if that price continues to creep down and down and down, this is why I don't put, um, you know, like I, I don't make declarative statements all that often about things like this because if the price comes down, who knows? That could change the Sixers' thinking. But the fit is problematic. That contract is going to be huge. And if that price remains high, then I would be surprised. The case for a Siakam trade is that if you have him in the front court next to Joel and you have like one other credible defender, you yep. could have an absolutely elite championship level defense built around yeah. those guys. And that's, that's the allure of him, right? He can help you on both sides of the floor. He's a, it, people will compare him to Tobias, I think in part because he's not really a master of anything uh, in part because a contract's going to be huge. I think he's a better defender than Tobias. I think he's more versatile than Tobias spe- uh, specifically because of his size. And I think he's a little more credible of a creator, both as a secondary creator yes. and even running some offense at times. I think he's a better playmaker and passer, individual scorer, all of that. I just wish I bought I bought the shot a little bit more, in which case I would be a little more willing to. And I don't really buy the shot almost at all. Uh, and that's a real, like I said, the real disappointment in his game over the last couple of years is that shot never became a reliable weapon the way you need it to. If it was, I think I'd be pushing on Siakam a lot harder than I currently am. And I would say this, Derek, you brought up this year's shooting numbers. 
even if you zoom out, he hasn't had an above average three point shooting season since 2019, 20. Yep. Every single season since then. So 21, he shot 29.7% from three 22. He shot 34.4 is as close. He's gotten to average since 32.4 last season. He's at 28, five this year like these aren't numbers that are in many cases that close to where they need to be and whatever i think you make up with the, the defensive stuff the ability to play make for others not as a to your point he's not a primary playmaker but somebody who you can use as a secondary guy you know lineups that don't have maxi on the floor certainly he's someone you trust enough to handle that load with maxi off the floor but I think because the shooting is so dire, you end up, not just for Joel, I don't think you're optimizing Tyrese because I think you'd have to put the ball in Siakam's yep. hands enough that now you're taken away from, okay, Tyrese's growth as a point guard, as a playmaker, as the lead guy, lead guard for this team because you're having him slide not into the same role as he had uh, next to James Harden, but uh, it's closer to that than it is right now because the only way that you're getting the most out of Siakam is taking something away from Tyrese as an off-the-dribble attacker. And yeah. so that's not where I would want the team to go with their, you know, their next big move, whatever that is, their series of moves that they're going to make. I like Siakam just as like a general player more than I like Levine, for example, because yep, of that two-way impact and versatility and the way you can slide them into different configurations. I just think on this team next to these guys that it's a really tricky fit, and I'm not sure that's the risk I'd be taking if it's at the price that we assume that it's at. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think as a just context independent, I think I like Pascal probably more than I'm letting on. I just don't like him with that fit. And you bring up, you know, taking the ball out of Maxi's hands and maybe overlapping skill sets. The overlapping skill sets, I don't really worry about too much because you would love a guy who can run some, you know, second unit offense. You can love a guy who can make good decisions even off of like attacking a closeout. You just need to be able to switch between those two roles, right? Having a self-creation element to your game, I think is a huge positive for what this team needs and something they should be targeting. You just then need him to be able to slide to an off-ball role when Maxi is cooking, when Embiid is cooking. You need him to be able to provide spacing when he's asked to do that, and Pascal right now just doesn't do that. So he's giving you the self-creation, that's great, but when you're on the court with the two stars, you can't be a detriment to their own offense. And that's where the concern really comes in. And we'll get back to that in one second. You know, Derek, I could tell you how you can see Pascal Siakam the next time he comes to Philadelphia. How's that, Kyle? That's using the Game Time app because guys buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. And the Game Time app gives you killer deals on last-minute tickets and a best price guarantee. So you can stop stressing over the tickets, start getting hyped for all the fun you're going to have. Maybe not watching Pascal Siakam, certainly watching Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. Game time is the place to go if you need last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance because they have deals on tickets right up to the day of the event with flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you always get the best price. Find tickets in the same section in a row for less. Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps, you're set. And then the tickets get sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. I think that's excellent. And guys, I know you have some leftover Christmas, Hanukkah, holiday cash. 
They make great holiday gifts to yourself if you didn't buy them for somebody else in advance of the holiday. So use that cash you got left over. Get some tickets to the Game Time app. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Not to nitpick your ad read too much, but the Raptors do not come to Philadelphia anymore. Well, they played both when Siakam is traded but and comes back he, with another team. This. Potential acquisition Larry Markkinen <laughs> is coming in soon. Like there's other games you'll want to see. Go to get, I mean, the uh, Jokic and Bede rivalry is coming up here not too long. Can't Go wait to game for that time one. for those. We also want to tell you about Rocket Money. We all want to make sure that we get the most out of your money and that you're not wasting money on unnecessary subscriptions, which makes endorsing Rocket Money easy to do. There's a very real chance that you will save money by using Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place, and if you see something you don't want, you can cancel it with a tap, and you never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped... Save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash P-H-L-Y. That's rocketmoney.com slash P-H-L-Y. Rocketmoney.com slash P-H-L-Y. So we don't have to put a bow on this Yakum thing quite yet. We do have a comment from Miles essentially just referring to Woj, a Woj report where he says he believes the Pacers will continue to be probing on him. I, I think that lines up with everything you and I have heard up to this point, Derek, that I, if you're asking me to handicap the, I don't want to call it a race. Cause I don't even know if he's eventually going to get traded. I think if Siakam gets moved, it's to one of three teams, Atlanta, Indiana, and maybe Dallas. Those are the three teams that I've consistently heard. I know, and this was in the report we referenced already, that Atlanta was pretty far along in trade talks with Toronto in the offseason. I know that they're very interested in a potential Trey Young, Pascal Siakam combination. But all these teams are examples of teams that make more sense for Siakam than the Sixers. They're backcourt-heavy teams, teams that, frankly, don't have Joel Embiid on the team who's going to operate from the mid post and want slash need that space around the rim, around the paint. I do think to be fair to Siakam, you know, we've talked about the shooting a lot and that's fair. If he was like a, even like a Kelly Oubre type guy who maybe the percentages were low, but teams respected him a lot more and the release was quick and all that. I could talk myself into Look, as a cutter, as an off-ball guy, he can yep. definitely do some damage that way. Really good athlete, good offensive rebounder, things like that. Like You can get off-ball utility from Siakam in some ways. My concern is strictly that's the floor spacing and the shooting and having a pillar of your team being a guy that teams could choose to just, frankly, ignore for long portions of a playoff game. I, I that's With Joel Embiid on this team... That's just a risk. That's a huge risk to take. It's not one I really prefer to take. No, I think the way you brought it up 
is correct because I think there is a point where if Siakam's price uh, or the asking price the Raptors had for him gets low enough, it makes sense to take a gamble just on talent, just on you know size and defense. The problem is there gets to a point where if that, that asking price gets low enough, there are other teams that make sense who they should outbid the Sixers. And I think when you look at these trades, unless it's a star and a superstar demanding to go to a specific place, a lot of it comes down to which teams does it make sense to pay the, the highest price on the market to acquire their services. And with Siakam, because of the fit with Embiid and Maxi, the Sixers probably aren't going to be that team. You mentioned a couple. The Pacers, I think, make a heck of a lot of sense yes. because they need his skill sets more than the Sixers do because they, they have the offense and the spacing and, a, 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 frankly, just high-tempo offense to make more use of them. Uh, I think it makes sense for them, Dallas. It just makes logical sense that they would be willing to outbid the Sixers on the trade market. And we've got a, a bunch of people in the chat now bringing up, you know, like uh, Mikhail Bridges, um, Larry Markinen that we talked well, about. Well, maybe today. today's Mikhail Bridges day since we don't have the awkward well, divide. It, like true. we'll talk that's about true. it, sort of deal. But I, where I always go back to with that, and look, the Nets are struggling. Um, you know, Markinen's name is always on the market, so you, I understand why people are asking about that. But I always go to like. Well, if either of those hit the market, why wouldn't the Sixers just be blown away by Sam Presti and the Thunder? Like, why would Presti not just go all in on marketing with their 17 draft picks, throw four of them in, overwhelm the Sixers? Because I think that makes a lot of sense for them. And if they get to the point where they agree with that, that it makes a lot of sense for them, then the Sixers just have no chance to compete. Yeah. I, I So... The Thunder are used as this like looming threat. And I know there's actually been a lot of dialogue amongst reporters, fans, et cetera, about, you know, should they make a trade because, you know, they're already good enough to contend all that. And then there's the camp that's like, let it grow organically. This always happens when a young team is very good right away. I kind of think that Presti is going to do the same thing or a similar thing that they did when they had Durant, Westbrook and Harden, which is, Try to do it the organic way and you make the smaller moves around the margins because I think Presti approaches it from the perspective of we're not keeping everybody in OKC long term. What happened last time is that when these guys bolted, we had to just say, okay, and shrug our shoulders and not much you can do about it. And I think they will be kind of a constantly reloading team. Not that they're going to keep all these draft picks. They have so many of them. But that I don't think that there's an urgency, as far as I can tell from OKC, to make this big consolidation trade either now or sometime in the near future. I think they'll probably piecemeal it. Like, okay, we have Shea and Chet and Jalen Williams to a certain extent, and they'll make smaller moves around those guys until maybe one of them itches to leave, and then maybe they get in play for the bigger well, deals. Here, here's where I'll push back on that. And I think that's probably his natural inclination, but I think two things. First of all, they just have so many assets and so many picks. They can make a big trade like this and still have first-round picks to replenish the cupboard when guys get too expensive and have to leave. So they can do they can take both lanes, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and you love seeing a a process like that play out over multiple years and given the freedom to do so, <laughs> not casting any aspersions elsewhere. Very subtle of you. <laughs> but also, like I think Markinen and Bridges, because of how young they are. It's, it's like, I think making a, a short-sighted win-now trade is wrong for them, but Bridges and Markinen are so young and they fit so well with the core of SGA and Chet that I think it makes sense to be selectively aggressive. And I think those are two players, if they come on the market, I think it would make sense for the Thunder to be selectively aggressive. Yeah, so let's, I, I want to get into the, the Bridges thing because 
I know the most of the reporting, including from Woj, suggests they want to have him as one of their building blocks, right? And there's been a little bit of chatter about they're a potential Donovan Mitchell suitor. And so they say, we're going to have Mitchell and Bridges, and those are our two that we start with, and then they begin to expand from there, I guess. One, I don't know that that's a team that wins any more than like 44 or 45 games, at least with the other supporting cast that they have. Two, I think Brooklyn is bad enough and has been bad enough this season that the Nets at least are going to have to entertain the idea of like, we should further strip this thing down. Now, I understand that because of the previous moves that they made, they don't have a lot of incentive Yep. Similar to the the last time things went tits up for the Nets, they don't have their own picks, so they're you know they don't have a reason to tank and fully strip it down. But they do probably need to consider all right if a team comes in with a Godfather offer for Mikael Bridges, we should at least you know lend some credence to that. It shouldn't be an automatic no. He's definitely a franchise guy. Like they're bad. They don't draw people to their games because they're bad, but also because people just care about the Knicks more in New York. Like they're not really accomplishing anything either from a basketball or business perspective, which I, people don't like us talking about that stuff on the show, but that stuff absolutely matters to sure. the people signing the checks. So I wonder also on Mikhail's side, we don't put Devon in this position because he's compromised and is not going <laughs> to really talk about this stuff. Mikhail Which has, is good. I mean, he gives us plenty of ample opportunity to yes. talk about him because he takes a day off every other week. Mikhail has won everywhere that he's played ever and is now stuck on this just garbage team. And I will say this, this is not shade at Mikhail, who's been a great defender at previous spots. He has not been a good defensive player for a lot of this season. Like clearly is not bought all the way in on defense as he's being asked to be the number one guy. And I know there's a lure to, hey, I get to be the guy on, a, on an NBA team that's not really been his outcome even back at Villanova. He was right. one of a few guys, but certainly not the certified number one dude every single night. I think maybe at some point he looks around and says, I'd rather be one of the three guys and win and be a two-way player then use all my energy on offense and mail it in on the other end. Like I, that's how I've seen him wired. That's how he's played in the past. So to watch him take a defensive dive this year on a bad team just makes me think there's going to come a point if they don't get better, maybe not this year, but perhaps next off season where he may might look around and say, yeah. no, this isn't for me. And I think you saw that a little bit with OG too, where his defense this year just wasn't as impactful if a player loses 10% of their focus on defensive end, that has a pretty drastic impact. And when you're on a struggling team, I think that's pretty natural, especially with someone like Bridges, who's asked to score more now than he was in, in Phoenix. Um, and his, his numbers, you know, Bridges' numbers are down pretty much across the board from last year. I think the 26 he was scoring last year was probably a little bit unsustainable, so I don't really look at it like that. If he still gives you 17, 17 to 20 per night with good three-point shooting and very good defense... That is an incredibly valuable player, and that's an, a player that will have a lot of value on the trade market, which is why I still think even with having a, a quote-unquote down year, he would, you know, the Sixers would eventually get outbid if he is put on the market. And I agree with you. Like the, the Nets are in a weird spot because they don't have their first-round pick in either twenty this year, upcoming year, 2024 or 2026. There's a whole 
host of other swaps in there. I don't have the mental bandwidth right now to look it up and try to figure <laughs> that out. But they don't really have much incentive to tank. So I think the yeah they're they're just rooting against Phoenix yeah. basically. So there would be a a like if if that was not the case, if they own their own first round pick the first couple of years, you'd be like, all right, well, is this guy actually making them too good to where they can't get a top ten player? That's not necessarily the case. It's more can they flip him for assets that they can then use to get a top ten player in the league. That's a little bit of a dicier proposition because you usually don't trade for a top 10 player if you don't think you can keep him around long term. You can't really keep him around long term if you don't have talent around him. So they're in a little bit of a tricky spot. I'm not sure I think he will become on the market now. I'm not sure it even necessarily makes sense to put him on the market, but I agree with you. It does make sense to at least listen. The problem is, and we talked about this a little bit with Maxi over the summer, it's tough to listen without rumors getting out and speculation getting out and talk that, hey, you're putting him on the market. So they're in a they're in a bit of a tough spot, I think, that people maybe undersold how tough that spot was. Yeah, so look, I'm not saying that Bridges is available. I'm not saying that the Sixers would even have, I think almost certainly they wouldn't have the best package to offer yep. if it got down to it. And that's probably the key thing here. It's less about, you know, maybe it gets there with Brooklyn and Mikhail where he says, I- I'm tired of this, send me to a, a spot where I'm better positioned to win, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really seem like how he's wired, but you just never know. But once you get there, do the Sixers have enough assets, enough picks, enough contracts to put together without you know compromising the team's chances to win to actually make that deal? I would probably say no. Like even, Derek, if we took OKC out of the equation, I would imagine they're – at least a few more teams who would say we'll trade most of our immediate draft future for McHale. And I think the Sixers would probably say we just don't have enough to go get them. Yeah. And maybe that changes in the summer. If you still have, if you haven't made the major trade, because you do have essentially two more first round picks that you can trade. Uh, And again, the reason you have that is because you can trade select a player with the 2024 pick and then flip it. Uh, even though that would leave you without a pick in 2024-25. The rules around that only look forward. So once you're past the 2024 draft, it doesn't matter if you don't have a pick in two consecutive years. And then you also get a, you know, the, the rules state that you can trade a pick up to seven years in the future. So you essentially have a 2031 pick, or I forget whichever one it is, coming in in the future that you can't trade now, but you will be able to trade over the summer. So they have a little more flexibility in terms of the first round picks they can offer, a little less flexibility in terms of matching salary, but they have cap space, a lot of moving parts. The point is they might be able to compete for someone like that better in the summer, but you would have to then pass up every opportunity you have between now and the trade deadline to improve your team on a hope and a prayer that maybe he would ask out. It's a, you know, it's an uncertain spot for sure. Yeah. It, it, the the real problem is that Mikhail Bridges would be good on basically any good team. Yep. And the whole league knows that saw what he did in Phoenix, saw what he did in college the real crime is that he was on the Sixers very briefly and they just let him. And look, we've relitigated this a bunch. The worst part is not even that they traded McHale. It's that there were like three or four different yeah. outcomes there where if they just drafted a different player and held on to them, they would have ended up with either a star or like substar or high level NBA player. And instead they ended up with... Zaire and a pick that they traded for Tobias. And then then Tobias contract. Imagine if you draft Bridges, he pops right away. You don't have to make the Tobias trade. You don't add that salary. They would have had so much more flexibility in addition to having Mikhail on a rookie. Anyway, we don't need to depress you. That was a a tough spot for the franchise. 
I, I mean, Shea Gilgis Alexander very well mm. could have been on this damn team, and that's man. I'm not going down this. I'll just make I'll, I'll get mad all over again about how that whole thing played out. I was a Shea guy too. I had him. I think I had him like eight in that draft. Yeah, I was I was a big big fan of Shea's, but I didn't bang the drum hard enough. No. Oh. What do you think, Derek? Is it time to talk about uh, our friends at Foco? It could. could. You could have a a Shea Foco, but unfortunately, that future did not come to pass. Foco is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. With it still technically being in football and tailgating season, even though I don't know if we're going to have another Home playoff game. Thank you, Eagles, for that one. It means that overall, really twisting the knife today between just, uh, draft talk and Eagles talk. A real talk good and... way to piss me off on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Anyway, it means that overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, and bags, everything you need for a game, Foco has. And Foco has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. Foco always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use a promo code PHLY10 for 10% off. Uh, another guy who I so I'm I don't think he's even on the Sixers radar. I don't think he should be because of his contract. I have somehow stumbled into watching more Charlotte Hornets games than I thought I would what are you recently. Doing with your life. Watching a lot of basketball. Man. <laughs> I think if Terry Rozier went to the right team, I think he will swing a playoff series this year. I, I don't think people understand how good he's been on a shitty team. He's scoring 24 points a game, shooting almost 47% from the field, 36% from three on seven and a half threes a game, seven assists a game, and is doing this on a team that has basically nobody. And so, not even really turning the ball over. He's always been good at protecting the ball. So, and like clearly we we saw firsthand, Derek, that he's got playoff level demeanor, was thrust into a situation with Kyrie Irving Hurt where he had a the series of his life, or at least we thought so at the time, ends up getting paid later in part because of what he contributed to that Boston run that season. I think he's a sneaky, like important trade guy at the deadline What's i don't think he's like? i don't think he really fits with maxi in a way that he's making too much over the next few years he's making yeah, 25 per. 25 and then it's partially guaranteed in 25 26 but it's like 24 of the 26 million is guaranteed so i don't if he was a, if terry rozier was like six six i'd i'd say trade three first round picks for terry right. rozier <laughs> right now unfortunately he's not he's you know relatively undersized not someone you want to put in a backcourt with maxi but he's just someone i've been keeping my eye on where i think if the right team like let's say i don't know who the hell they'd trade from let's say that the knicks took the fournier contract and picks and turned that into rosier i think now that they lost quickly yep. and don't have that ball handling off the bench anymore if Rozier goes to New York and becomes like a true six man, maybe spot starter or whatever, however they want to use him on a given night, I think to me that would fundamentally change how I look at the Knicks in terms of they go from should absolutely beat them in a playoff series to it's at least going to get interesting. So just somebody I wanted to throw in there that I was thinking about recently. Yeah. No, I mean, I think he should be on the market. Like you said, the combination of the 
the 25 mil per year and the questionable fit next max. And it's really not even like, like he's a, a player who the shot has grown enough over a couple of years, really since he left Boston, but even towards the tail end of his Boston tenure, it was a shot that I didn't necessarily believe in at the time, but it's gotten so much better that you trust it more. And you think he can probably fit switching between those two roles. Like we talked about that. We don't think Siakam can, uh, but the defensive side of the floor, which is a big part of Terry's game. Uh, if he was just, like you said, if he was six, five, Sixers would probably be one of those teams that should be interested. I just don't see the fit because of that. Yeah. So, well, no, Derek, are we at stock report time yet? No, or, no, no we're we not. You don't want to put on. We have to find something wanna, random. To I mean, we about. have a lot of questions in the chat about various players. I've seen Keldon Johnson's name come up quite a bit. I think you and I are lukewarm yeah. on him. I don't, I don't, don't Interesting offensive him. fit, but the more people I talk to, it just doesn't seem like he is locked in and bought in defensively, especially off ball at all that much. Might be a young player thing that he can grow out of, um, but I would have to watch more, ask more, and talk more a little bit about him to really give a, a full endorsement. Yeah, transparently, I don't watch the crappy Spurs enough. Even with Wemby, like that's been one of the shocks of the season for me. That I like, I'll watch the Spurs from time to time, but I thought it was going to be. This is appointment television, baby. Yeah. Like, if you were to tell me that I would see more of Terry Rozier than I've seen of Victor Wembanyama this season, I would have called you a fool. But I've, you know, passing through on some Charlotte games, and the Spurs are on there. I guess they did break up their losing streak, they but they were on like an eighteen-game yep. losing streak. Which nobody point. cared about because the Pistons were making a history of it. Yeah, they were not playing yeah. good. Another another crap team. We do have some Rozier fans in the chat, which. Money Mar, my guy, is with me, so I appreciate that. Uh, I don't know, man. Is, is there another obvious slam dunk trade candidate that's out no, there I mean, right now? We should be pivoting to the stock report. I'm just trying to avoid <laughs> putting on the hat. Well, Derek, it's time to bust out the visors <laughs> then because we are out of other nonsense for the day. Take the damn hat. All right awful hat hair that you all have to deal with briefly oh wait the beauty of show business folks all right do you want to go first or you want to ask me to do one first yeah you can you can ask first okay i'll give you i'll give you an easy one or at least i think it'll be easy for you marcus morris oh geez is that supposed to be easy It's a safe space. Devon's not here. You can you can be honest about how you feel I know, about the last Marcus. Couple of, well, no, how I feel isn't really necessary. It's it's. I'm still gonna go up. I'm still gonna go. Wow. Up. I think I think a lot of people are probably expecting me to go down. Up um, on but Marcus stock Morris is, is just based. Whoops. You love throwing those. Things, <laughs> stock man. is just based off of of wh- which direction it's headed. Um, he has been better offensively than I thought he had left. Defensive current concerns are still there. I don't expect those to be. Um, quelled anytime soon like i don't think i'm going to buy into marcus morris defensively i don't think i'm going to trust marcus morris in the playoffs defensively i don't think that's going to change but just almost based on the game winner last week i'm giving him the uh the stock up i guess that's fair uh, we're talking about when's the last time we did one of these a few weeks ago it's been at a this while point, yeah. we've had a lot of yep. a lot of game shows so hard i it's hard to get this in I would say watching him take several contested mid-range jumpers last it's, night almost yep. made me say down but to your point i think the game winner and the overall body of work is uh really to me it's just like uh, yeah the, the contested mid-range jumpers don't love 
don't love. Like the middies are reserved for the stars and Marcus, not it, but really it's the, like, it's the pick and roll defense. And not only when he's involved in the two man action, but like when he's on the wing, he does not believe in tagging the roller at all. Like he provides no, no help and it just infuriates me. It's probably always going to infuriate me. I think it's something that's going to be picked on when by, by good teams, but when you're making four point plays and winning games, you got to stock up for the week. Yeah. And when you're only playing, you know, a certain amount of minutes yeah. a night. Okay. Uh, now you got to give me one. Hmm. All right. Let me, let me look at the roster and see one that would be interesting to talk about. I feel like that one's probably a little bit too obvious. Uh, I'll tell you what. How about this? Nick Nurse. I feel like we don't, we don't focus on Nick quite enough. I think it's got to be stock up. I, I think with the way that the defense has mostly stabilized after we They're sat on like the, two in the league right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for, for them to go now, look, you take it with a grain of salt to some extent because of the weak opponents they got through sure. December, but it's been good long enough that I think we say, you know, tip of the uh, accounting visor to Nick nurse <laughs> on, on that end of the floor. Uh, I would say that one, a couple different things. One, they continue to, when they get out to these big leads and they have a hot start to a game, there has been no let up. The fact that we are this far into a season and Joel Embiid is taking this many fourth quarters off because they killed teams so badly through the first three, that's a great thing. I, that could have been a product of, hey, they took teams by surprise early in the year. They played crappy teams in December, whatever it is. They've continued to have that killer instinct. That I appreciate quite a bit. Uh, I know that we talked about this on the postgame show after the Bulls game. I think seeing him let Joel and Tyrese oh play through foul trouble was awesome. I think that's a huge departure from Doc Rivers. And frankly, like we don't even have to use that as an anti-Doc thing. That's most coaches in the league. It's most coaches, it. but Doc was very formulaic, very Doc was robotic, robotic about, about it, it yep. but most coaches skew conservative there. And for Nick to not only do that, but then get asked about it after the game and basically say, yeah, there's not a lot of times where guys pick up their fifth in the third quarter or their fourth in the second quarter shows that this is a philosophical belief. This is something that he says, I, this is how it should be done. I'm going to stick to that. There's no panicking. There's no going against what I believe about the game. And so he has some of those deeply held beliefs that Doc had while also being a more rapid adjuster and tactician in the middle of games. And so I, I continue to think he's doing a great job. I don't know how you could say otherwise at this point. Top five team on both ends of the floor. And there's only so... Joel gets a huge portion of that, right? Tyrese gets a huge portion of at least the offensive side of it. But there's been a lot of juggling lineups, guys in and out, trade. You're relying on mostly role players other than Joel and Tyrese. And I think he's done an excellent job putting all the pieces together. Yeah, and to your point about the foul trouble, like last night was probably an easy decision to make because you knew Embiid wasn't going to be needed in the fourth quarter. Like there's just no way that Chicago was coming back from that. But I think even the more encouraging thing was to then hear him come, you know, talk after the game and be like, I think this is a mistake we often make, basically. Yes. That coaches 
make this mistake because it's something that I've been ranting about for years. I know you have as well. Rich has on on the podcast with me in the past as well. It's just the number of times you'd look up and Joel Embiid would play 27 minutes and finish with five fouls would just, I would uh, like, there's, I feel like few things that really truly anger me that would really and truly anger me. Other than having to work with me. Every Other than having day. to work with Kyle, but I think we've litigated that one quite a bit. Just trust your star, especially someone like Embiid who's so good at it. Just trust him. I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, I'll give you, all right. Since he played for the first time, first real minutes in a while last night, I know it's going to be tough, but Jaden Springer. Oh, I mean, the, give me, give me, give me. You can reach out. God, that's, they're up on the table. See? Oh, there we go. Look at that effort. Well, that's why you get paid it, the big bucks. It, it's a good segue because I just loved his effort. The <laughs> offensive rebounds, the pursuit, um, didn't try to do too much. Took the, when the, the easy driving lane wasn't there, he didn't try to make anything out of it. I, look, I would like to see him play more. He just gives you an infusion of energy and, and defense and athleticism. Uh, I would like to see him play more. And I, I, that tends to be my archetype of players. Like I like Robert Covington and the chaos that he brings on defense and the effort that he brings. I like Jaden Springer and the athleticism and the energy that he brings. Uh, and they just have noses for the ball. That's why when B-ball Paul is not trying to do too much, I tend to be a B-ball Paul defender because he just brings, and I mean this in a mostly good way, although with B-ball Paul it's a little bit of both sides of the equation, but he brings it a mostly good chaos on the defensive side of the floor. Um, B-Ball, like I said, adds a little chaos offensively that you don't always want to see, but I love the defensive energy that Springer has been bringing. I would like to see it more often, uh, especially when you are down so many wings uh, and, and the Sixers have been for quite some time. You love guys who play bigger than their listed height yep. too. Like I, I think to see him. Springer come, gets hit and he doesn't move. Yeah. He's just strong. To see him come into the game last night, first real minutes he's getting in a while and immediately rip a rebound out of Andre Drummond's hands and create a dunk for Daniel House. Like that's the sort of thing that is going to get him more playing time, yeah. right? Because we know all the kinks he's got to iron out as an offensive player. I still think he looks like set aside shooting percentages or anything else. I, I still think he looks a little like a deer in the headlights when mm -hmm. you put him out there in a half court possession. Now the beauty with him is that because he can create turnovers because you're going to get more stops, you might end up in transition more often. He can finish do all that. He does have a few moves that he can go to. It's mostly spin moves around the, the elbows, the free throw line for a short jumper. And that's not really sustainable for player like that so the catch and shoot stuff does have to come around but to your point Derek it's the type of guy that you just when you see how hard he plays when you see him make that crazy athletic play who was it was it Io that he blocked in, in transition seeing him make a play like that where it's half athleticism half effort and then send the Sixers the other way you hope that people like that get more chances to leave an imprint on the game yeah yeah, and I just like rewarding effort and athleticism and consistency too, uh, and he has, he's been that. I agree. Gavin's got a super chat for us. I'm not sure I'm understanding. How right for bad team? Right for uni, but no – okay. So is it, it – does he want advice or for basically how we covered the Sixers in 20 – Or like how to break in 
covering sports. Like, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, so I, I would say... trying to make a joke on the bad writing thing. It might have gone a little bit too far. Oh, he does? Okay. Everything is horrible. No good prospects. Players are quite ungood. What can you even say? So... Is he asking, like, how to cover, like, the Pistons? Yeah, I mean, basically. Well, what Derek and I and many others did when the Sixers were bad was not really right about the actual team. And oh, I joked about when, the, when, when I went to the athletic uh, and, and Rich and I went, I joked that I'd never covered a game and I'd been on the beat for four. Like I'd been full season credentialed for four years at that point. I joked that I'd never written about a game and it was partially true. Like we focused so much on, first of all, arguing about the theory of team building and what really matters and what progress is. Um, and we focused a lot on the draft and the prospects that they were you know, drafting and developing uh, you and, and, and maybe hints of what they could become when we see them on NBA courts. Got lost in a lot of Okafor and Noel debates. There was just a constant, there was other topics to talk about that was much more of a team building focus, which quite honestly, at that point of my writing career, I was more comfortable with. And in some ways I still am. I think that's a, a fascinating and intriguing part that for a long time was, I won't say overlooked, but maybe not focused on enough. I don't think that's necessarily true now. I think a lot of online writing tends to focus on that. But coming up at that point, I thought that was fascinating. The Sixers were a, you know, just a real interesting <laughs> franchise at that point of their career. Uh, so you just focused on other stuff. Um, and like I said, I think the team building aspect is so, there's so many different wrinkles to it uh, that that could occupy us for months and months and months. Uh, as Eugene points out, there was a lot of Noel versus Okafor. Notably, I was not a Prokafor. So no. there are still people that hold that against me. Gavin, I would also say, one thing I regret that I didn't write about enough because there was a lot of, I would say, media criticism or outside criticism about the human toll of what the Sixers were doing. And I wish that I had engaged on a more consistent level to really dig into that, like talking with those guys about you've lost 10 games in a row. Like, how are you approaching this not just like how to make the team better but psychologically like how do you go through your day how do you shut out the noise like and getting drilling down on that with guys at an individual level because like being around these guys every day you do see the highs and lows of like the Pistons just went on a 28 game losing streak I'm very interested in at the end of it how Cade and Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran and all these guys, the last five, 10 games of that streak, those guys were playing really damn yep. hard. And, you know, how do you keep that motivation level, that compete level high enough to overcome what's clearly a ill-fitting roster and not enough talent? So things like that are things I wish that I'd spent more time on then that I'm sure someone like you in your position right now could, uh, could touch on that some. Yeah. Honestly, that was a fascinating time to cover. I really enjoyed it. Ooh, we got another super chat. You want to take this one, Derek? Sure. We have uh, Papa G-Day asking these, saying the Sixers are at their best when Embiid has a uh, high assist game. 50-point games are fun, but playmaking. Low turner over B can wreak havoc in the playoffs, especially with his scoring gravity. Not really much of a question, more of a statement. I don't disagree with him. Uh, I think we, I mean, this is, this was sort of like the genesis of your Embiid needs to score fewer points take in the preseason, your very first article for all phly.com. 
Clearly, Embiid is not uh, scoring fewer points, but he is processing the game in a playmaking perspective. He's just, I think that take was a lot of like, we want to see Embiid focus more on being a playmaker and a passer. He's just been able to increase his scoring, (laughs) increase his efficiency, and become a much better playmaker and passer. So it's hard to complain about any of that. Uh, I think certainly like the... First of all, having more shooters around him, not having P.J. Tucker, you can help off of constantly. I know P.J.'s percentages are great. Part of the reason P.J.'s percentages are fine is because he takes two shots every game. Um, But having more legit gravity floor spacers around him has helped. Having more movement around him has helped. Like they double team and somebody's making that slot cut. And when you consistently make that slot cut, then you're a lot, I don't say more scared to double team Embiid because Embiid is still Embiid, but you're a little bit hesitant and with, Embiid can yeah, it's like, what's hesitancy. the consequence of right. sending the double? You think about it, and anytime you're thinking rather than reacting, there are matchups to exploit. So I think it's it's just been great. Uh, I think we are all impressed by what we've seen, both from Embiid and his growth, and Nick Nurse and how he's utilized him. We all still agree that he has to do this in the playoffs, but I agree this is a formula that has a better chance of working in the playoffs. And I thought the overall, like, look, the shooting in the Chicago game was ridiculous. You're going to win any game where... You shoot like sure. that, but I thought I joked the, with Devon. I'm like, sometimes basketball is complicated. Other times, it's like one team has Joel Embiid and has made ten out of twenty threes, and the other team does not have Joel Embiid and they have made two out of nineteen threes at half, yeah. and that game's over. But I thought the process was really good as well. Like a lot of good Joel reads over the top. I thought another thing that I was super encouraged to see was Tobias approaching it as like, "Hey, Joel's back and Tyrese is here, but I'm still gonna work to like." I'm going to get my shots. I'm going to get my opportunities and hunting some cross matches where he did some high low with Joel seals, Kobe white either gets fouled or scores at the rim and Joel embracing that, like seeing, okay, I see Tobias on on the block against Kobe white, who he's got a major physical advantage. I'm hitting him. I'm throwing it right now and we're going to play fast and we'll live with the consequences. And so I think that's been important too. Like Nick has preached, Pace, pace, pace. When they have bad offensive games, a lot of times he says, look, I just don't think we were playing fast enough in many ways. And that doesn't mean, and he says this over and over again, that doesn't mean transition play necessarily, right? It's get the ball up the floor quickly when you're starting a set. Guy gets open or there's a a cutter, open shooter. Joel's got a favorable matchup. Get that person the ball as early in the shot clock as you can. And whether they score or the opponent last night in Chicago has to send a double, has to send extra help, whatever it is, you're going to create more advantages by getting into your stuff earlier. And frankly, if you don't create an early advantage, you then have more time to reset the offense and figure something else out. So I think that's been alongside the past. I don't think you can disconnect that from the passing. I think all the, all the things that Nurse has preached since coming here that Joel has embraced, that his teammates have embraced, they're all adding up to make this team better than they were last year. Agreed. Do we still, uh, I feel like that's probably right towards the end. We Do, do we have any probably more stock more report that we want to do? stuff, I guess. Right, I do want to ask you about one more because he's been a little bit up and down here. Kelly. So, admittedly, this is, I'm going to give him a, a little bit by the last game. I'm going to give him a sock up after last game. Been real up and down though, like three of nine shooting against the Raptors, and he comes out nine of sixteen against the Heat, one of seven against uh, the Magic, five of thirteen against Chicago, then five of eight against. Like he's been up and down, um, but I think what I first of all I think 
last game might have been the best passing game of the season for him. He was just he had moving several the ball. assists, right? Yeah, I, he had three assists, which ties a season high. Um, in fact, there's only been I think like three games where he's had more than one. Uh, maybe four games where he's had more than one. So that's a, a real high assist oh, game. Oh, Money Morris has stocked down. I don't know. He's, he's certainly been like, I think yeah. there's been more instances of you and I going like, oh, that's a bad shot. Like, you don't need to take that shot, Kelly. That's that's creeped in a little bit. But and I've been consistent on this. I will continue to give him praise as long as he buys in defensively. He bought in defensively uh, since coming back. He's been active. He's obviously has good size and athleticism to help and recover. Uh, the offense is up and down. And part of that is shot selection. Part of that is that pretty much all players who are relying on outside shots tend to be streaky, but he's especially streaky because you couple the sometimes shots don't go in with some bad shot selection and the fact that he doesn't really create for others, but the defense is there. So I will take that. If you at least give me some nights like last night where he, uh, you know, what, what do you have like 16 points in the first half or something like that? He's real impactful. So here's what I would say to build off of your point. I think to be this deep into the season, we're in early January and we're still in good Kelly defense mode Yep. to be that far in. And look, has he had some poor possessions? Has he taken plays off like other guys do? Yes. But I would say at least in my observing of Kelly throughout his career, this is probably the most consistent defense he's ever played. 100%. Now he's got a smaller role than he's had, certainly than he did in Charlotte, but definitely in other places as well. When he's brought into Golden State, thought he's going to be an essential guy, and that turned out not to be the case. So for him to play this level, the level of defense that he has for this long, and with as few you know gaps in production, effort, all that that he's had, I think that's a major win. And so that's why I would say stock up to, to your other point, Derek. Yes. The, the offense has been up and down. I'd say some of that is based on who was available night mm -hmm. to night, right? Like Joel missed a, a week worth of games yep. and that impacts the shot quality, the amount of responsibility that he has, things of that nature. Last night, I believe was the first time him and Batum have played extended minutes together. Right. And, so he was the beneficiary, finally, of one of their, if not their best, connective player in the lineup. I thought, looked right at home in that starting lineup. I think we're going to save some discussion about potential lineup changes for tomorrow. But the stuff that I was worried about with Kelly has mostly been kept in the background. You see some tough shots here and there, but... I've been super pleased with what he's brought to the team. I think his attitude has been great as not just on the floor, but in like the locker room as a, one of the guys he's bringing his, his hard hat to the floor every night on defense. So I, I don't think you can ask him for much more than he's given you this year so far. Yeah. Uh, and look, the, the, that archetype of a player, even this year, he's scoring like 13 points on like 10 and a half shots or whatever with pretty much no assists. That is not the archetype of a player I will ever gravitate towards. I think that's the type of player who can be pretty easily overrated offensively. He doesn't really provide the kind of floor spacing that you would expect. We've talked about his catch and shoot numbers a lot. He was a bad catch, bad catch and shoot player before coming here in part because you know, he would shoot 37% on open catch and shoot threes and then like 25% on contested. He needed to cut those out. He hasn't cut those out completely, but he's cut those out some, and that has helped. But the reason why I am much more willing to buy on him now than I was before the season is that defensive engagement is just so much more consistent that I 
I'm willing to live with the bad shots or the lack of passing because you get occasional microwave scoring offense and pretty consistent effort on defense. That is a formula that I'm much more willing to buy in, in on than early career Kelly Oubre. Agreed. So, thumbs and again, up. It, it might change if there's a new contract. Uh, it's easier to buy in on when it's yeah. a minimum contract. That's part of the equation as well. But he has been, I think he should be a, a consistent part of the rotation. I wouldn't have said that before the season. Yeah, and I did see that Liam was asking about the potential starting lineup change. We are going to probably go more in depth, as our producer Bree points out in the comments. We talked about it on the post-game show last night, but I think we're going to go in depth with that for tomorrow's show. Got any more stock stuff you want to get to, Derek? Or is it I time to? That's a, I think that's a pretty good amount of stocks. Get up on out of here. I do here. feel like we need to find someone to nitpick because all of them were stock up, but... That's just the way uh, it crumbles okay. sometimes. If I Mo Bamba, hand me that blue I mean, sign. That's that stock through the never up though. Like how Yeah. Stock down on Mo Bamba, because I just can't I know we discussed it already, but I can't watch that guy anymore. No. But I don't think we'll have to watch him. And I also don't think we really have to expand on that. I think everyone knows why. No, I, I think the uh the people Remember when we had that one random person in the comments that was like, oh, he, he just wasn't playing well in the preseason. I can't remember their name, but yeah, they were he like, yeah, he didn't care about the preseason. It's like, buddy, care, buddy, he hasn't cared about anything ever. That's kind of his whole problem. No, I think I think almost everyone is in agreement on that one. All right, I think that's probably a uh, a good place to wrap this one up here. Do you have some people that you want to shout out? Yeah, I even saw some, I saw a Raptors logo at some point Uh-oh. in the chat, so not sure I can give them a shout out, but... Shout out to all of our good people who are here with us today. Money Mar, Sam, Liam, 74U, Momo. Haven't seen that one before. Dave, Pope Platinum Beats. Love that name. Have not seen him before either. Eugene, Shahid. Let's see. We got, there's the MTJ24 says go sports. And it looks like they have a Raptors-esque logo. You better get to Gavin on this one. Listen, I will get to Gavin. Shout out to our guy Gavin, who I hope our or answer to your Missed question. Missed him the last couple of times, and he super chatted, so he has to get a shout and out. Our guy Baba DJ also gave us a super chat. LJ R Smith, love all you guys for being with us here each and every day. Thank you to Bree producing the show as always. No thank you to Devon who loves to take off from the show <laughs> all the time. He's being a responsible family man. It's okay. No, just- if you guys could on your way out hit that subscribe button and if you hit the bell icon you will get notified each and every time that we go live and if you hit that thumbs up button Derek and I will get all the warm and fuzzy feelings inside that'll take away the horrible feelings that I give Derek when I make him put on that goofy (laughs) visor so thank you everyone for being here with us today we will be back tomorrow 2 30 for another discussion we'll see you then (laughs) 